you're here tonight. This is the last Sunday night of the year. We're grateful for the opportunity to be together. This brings to a close our study. Throughout the year, we've been looking at key verses, and tonight we finish up in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 as we deal with the fruit of the Spirit. And we appreciate so much the opportunity that we've had over the course of this year to look at these verses. As I said last week, beginning next Sunday night, we're going to be looking at key chapters in Scripture. Next Sunday night, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 1, well, Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And we have gone through and selected certain chapters throughout the Bible, both Old and New Testament chapters. I hope that you will get a copy of the list of chapters we're going to be looking with. If you'll read those prior to the coming Sunday, I think it will help you in our study together. The goal is to grow, to learn, to become more Christ-like. And as we sang a moment ago, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. If you're visiting tonight, as always, we appreciate you being here. We encourage you to come back. If you are looking for a church home, we invite you to consider the work here. We've had a number of folks that have placed membership with us over the course of the last year. It's been a great year, and we look forward to a better year in 2021, and we hope that you'll be a part of that new year with us. I know that uh, this past week we've had uh, a number of folks that have lost loved ones. We want to remember them in prayer. Also, continue to keep in mind those who are sick and dealing with various health issues. We have got uh, just a whole host of people that are having health issues, and so we want to keep them in our prayers on a regular basis. Tonight, as we look at Galatians 5, 22 and 23, I want to call attention again to the fruit of the Spirit. Last week in our study, we looked at three of the characteristics, and tonight we're going to do our best to conclude this study. I was thinking this afternoon about young people and how those who are young typically have a desire to get married and settle down. And really, if you think about the Christian life, the Bible says in Romans chapter 7, verse 4, that we have been married to Christ. And so once we become a child of God, what we want to do is to take the Word of God and allow it to settle down in our lives and make a difference in us. And so as you look at Galatians chapter 5, Paul is talking about some characteristics that will help us as we strive to demonstrate Christ living in us on a daily basis. And you remember Paul in Colossians chapter 3 would say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, allow the word of God to settle down, make a home in your life. And let me tell you what, if you allow the word of God to settle down in your life, it'll make a difference. It will become a great blessing in your life and it can guide you successfully through this life. The psalmist said many years ago, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my pathway. So as we think about that, look at Galatians chapter 5 in our study tonight. And you remember Paul said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And then tonight we begin with long-suffering. The word long-suffering, to suffer long with people, reminds us of a characteristic of God, doesn't it? You remember, for example, the Bible says that God 
is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But Peter preceded that by saying, He is long-suffering to usward. In Romans chapter 2, Paul in that context talks about the goodness and forbearance of God and his long-suffering nature. Because as he said, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. So why is it so important for me to demonstrate the spirit of long-sufferingness in my life? Well, the idea is this is a characteristic that will help us better get along with our fellow man. Think about the church. The church is made up of, of a lot of different people. And people come in a lot of different shapes and sizes and a lot of different personalities. We're not all the same, are we? And so we have to learn, because of our backgrounds and various other things, we have to learn to get along with one another, to bear with one another. I mentioned a moment ago, getting married and settling down. One of the first things that you find out when you get married is you're going to have to learn to suffer with your mate at times, aren't you? I don't say that disparagingly. I'm just saying that we're two different people. The two have become one, and we're trying to blend our goals together. We're trying to work in harmony with one another, but we don't always see eye to eye, do we? So we have to learn to suffer long with one another. You remember in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 talks about some attitudes that make for unity in the church. And he, in that context, deals with things like humility and gentleness. And then he uses this word, long-suffering, and bearing with one another in love. And the idea is we forbear, we bear with one another. We learn to put up with one another, don't we? And then in verse 3 he said, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity in the church of Christ is not by accident, is it? But rather it takes people who are striving to the best of their ability to put up with one another, to bear with one another, to demonstrate a sense of long-sufferingness towards one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul, in that context, talks about some of the characteristics of love. And really, in that context, he's talking about spiritual gifts that would pass away. And so in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, he provides us with an enumeration of those spiritual gifts. In chapter 13, he deals with the, dura the duration of those spiritual gifts. In chapter 14, the regulation of those spiritual gifts. But back in chapter 13, verse 4, listen to what Paul said. Love suffers long and what? Is kind. Is that not the nature of God? Yes, it is. Are we not supposed to be godlike in our behavior, in our dealings with one another? Think about it like this. Learning to be patient with other people. How patient are you? I'm not necessarily one known for a lot of patience. I'm, I'm not saying that in a good way. 
I try to be patient, but I'm not necessarily as patient as I want to be or as I should be. Well, what about when somebody has the ability to push all of your buttons? You know what I'm talking about. And there's some folks, they just have that innate ability to push every button. And if you're not careful, what happens? You explode, don't you? Well, what Paul is saying is we have to learn to keep that outburst of emotion in check. Now, this is really preemptive in the sense that Paul is saying if we will take this characteristic, implement it into our lives, and live it out on, the, on a daily basis, it'll help us, won't it? It'll help us in our relationship with one another. One writer says that the idea of long-sufferingness carries with it the thought of restraint that doesn't retaliate. You know, sometimes when people wrong us or hurt us or gut us, as we say, the tendency is to try to strike back, to lash back, to even the score. And yet you remember Paul in Romans chapter 12 said, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. And really what Paul is saying there is, look, stand to the side. God's going to take care of things. God's going to even the scale, so to speak, at a point in time in the future. So he reminds us, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will recompense. I will repay. God will take care of things, won't he? It's not my place to retaliate or to get revenge in the life of another person. There's a second term I want to call your attention to. The first word is long-suffering. The second is kindness. The word kindness here is sometimes, sometimes translated gentleness. And you can find this same word over in Ephesians chapter 2. When the Apostle Paul, talking about God speaks of the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. There's the word, kindness. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, when Paul talks about the goodness of God, same word used. Well, what about demonstrating a kind spirit in the Christian life? I really think what Paul is saying is, Christianity is intended to sweeten us up. You know, there's some folks, they're just by nature somewhat prickly, aren't they? And they, they have a tendency to cut against the grain. And so what Paul is saying is that when we become children of God, our disposition, our makeup ought to change, shouldn't it? that we ought to be the kind of people who demonstrate a sweet and kind disposition in our dealings toward one another. Sometimes that's easier said than done, isn't it? Now, 
Note, if you would, Paul here, in discussing the fruit of the Spirit as he deals with kindness, is talking about that courteous, polite, maybe we would say unruffled character. Again, the bar set high, isn't it? And so, you know, sometimes we look at these characteristics and our first thought is, well, that's not natural. That's not my nature. I understand that. That's the whole point of it. We're trying to get, we're trying to develop our lives to become more Christ-like. There's a passage in Galatians chapter 4. Let me just call attention to it very quickly in verse 19. Think about this verse in light of the fruit of the Spirit. Paul said, My little children for whom I labor, in birth again until Christ, listen to him, until Christ is formed in you. Is that not the goal? Is it not the case that we're trying to become more Christ-like as we live here on planet Earth? You remember Paul in writing to the church at Corinth said no long ago, be followers of me even as I also am of whom? Of Christ. And you remember in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter talks about how Christ left us an example that we should follow in His steps. And so we're talking about trying to become more Christ-like in our daily life. So Paul speaks of long-suffering, kindness, and then there's a third trait I want to call attention to. Goodness. And the word goodness here means a desire to do good for others. There is this makeup in the life of a Christian that says, I want to be like Christ. In the book of Acts, in chapter 10, in about verse 38, the Bible says that Jesus went about doing what? Went about doing good. You remember in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, Luke says that during the ministry of Christ, that he taught it's more blessed to give than to receive. So what are you saying? As a child of God, my intent, my goal is to do good unto other people. Now look at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. Paul would say in that context, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Is that not doing good unto other people? Drop down, look at verse 10. In verse 10, hear what Paul says. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. In Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus pictures the end of time, His second coming, you remember He said that He would begin to separate the people as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. To those on the right hand, he would say, Come, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he said, He will say to those on the right hand, I was hungry, and what did you do? 
you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. He said, I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. What were they doing? They were ministering to the needs of other people. And Jesus said, inasmuch as you did it unto one of these least of my brethren, under one of these least of my brethren, he said, you did it unto me. Those of us who belong to the family of God, our goal is to be servants, isn't it? And Jesus, as we think about the master teacher, the one, the one that we are to pattern our lives after, Jesus was all about doing good for other people. As a matter of fact, Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, he took upon himself the form of a servant. Those of us who are Christians, who are members of the body of Christ, we're supposed to be about serving, doing good to other people. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Now, let me just add this characteristic with that, because they go hand in hand. The next trait that Paul identifies here is faithfulness. And here, the thrust of this word is reliability, dependability, fidelity. I want to ask this question. As a child of God, can the Lord depend upon you? Can He depend upon you to fulfill His will and His work? You remember again in Matthew chapter 25 when Jesus said that He will say to those on that great and final day, well done, listen to Him, good and faithful servant. If you are the only Christian in this community, not another Christian within miles of where you're now living, would people in this community, would they know something about Jesus? Would they know something about the church that Jesus bought and purchased with His blood? Would people in this community, would they be the recipients of your good works? You know, Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. Paul said that we're to do good unto all men. So here are people that are in need. Would you reach out and help those who are in need? Can God depend upon you to fulfill His will in your life? That's what it means to be faithful. So, Paul here is equipping us to be what we ought to be in the eyes of God. So you think about one day when you stand out on the plains of eternity, and listen, we're all going to be there one day. When we stand out on the plains of eternity, God's either going to say, well done, or depart. So you look at your life right now, and look at, look at the things that you're doing or not doing for the cause of Christ. Can God depend upon you? Typically, we talk about the work of the church, evangelism, edification, benevolence. Really, everything centers around evangelism. Edification is a byproduct of our evangelistic work, isn't it? Benevolence is a means to reach those who are lost. 
So you look at the work of the church and you talk about faithfulness. Are you faithful when it comes to your time, your talents, and your treasures in the kingdom of God? Either yes or no. That's it, isn't it? No middle ground. So Paul here, in discussing the importance of faithfulness, there is a, another characteristic. Gentleness, or the word would probably be better translated meekness. The word meekness means strength under control. It carries with it the idea of a wild stallion that's been, that has been bridled or harnessed. And you think about as a child of God, when we come to Christ, what's the intent? You know, Jesus said, if any man will come up to me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. One of the real prerequisites to coming to Christ is subjugating my will to the Lord's will. To harnessing my spirit. I think about how, you know, some, sometimes those who are in the world, they're like a wild stallion. And they don't want to be brought under control by anyone. I understand that. But as a child of God, what the Bible teaches is we are to, our will is to be broken for His will, isn't it? In other words, there's a subjugating again of my will to the Lord's will. So listen to Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 when He said, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. You know, one of the real problems we have in the world today, people want to alter the Word to fit their life. What the Bible teaches is that we're to alter our life to fit what? The Word. That's the key right there. That's the whole tenor of Scripture. Not about what I want, not about my will. It's about what God wants and what's God's will. So this idea of meekness. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul talks about those of us who are children of God who sit down with people who are not what they ought to be, spiritually speaking. And he talks about demonstrating meekness in the context of teaching them. And so to have compassion and kindness and humility, to be patient with people. Again, an important characteristic. Finally, Paul speaks of self-control. Self-control is a key to living the Christian life, isn't it? In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter talks about those Christian graces that are to adorn our lives. One of which is self-control. The key to living the Christian life is, is really living within the confines of Scripture. Allowing God's Word to dictate how we live, to say no to certain things. For example, in Titus chapter 2, you remember Paul talked about the grace of God appearing, bringing salvation to every man. And then he said, instructing us to the intent, listen to him, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. You mean to tell me that there are certain things that are taboo, that are 
off limits to those of us who are Christians? That's what Paul's saying. That we have to exercise self-control when it comes to the world. Now you think about the devil. The devil is constantly parading things before us that look appealing, they're appetizing. And the devil's saying, you need this, you need this, you need this. And yet, God's Word says, oh, wait a minute. Can't do that. Why? Because of who I belong to and who I am. I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to be different or distinct, aren't I? Think about in James chapter 2, James said, So speak and so do as those that are judged by the law of liberty. In other words, our speech ought to be governed by the Word of God. We ought to exercise self-control when it comes to our words. Easier said than done, isn't it? You know, some people, they have a tendency to speak before they think. And most of the time when we speak before we think, we get ourselves in a mountain of trouble, don't we? Peter's a great example of somebody who was often speaking before he really thought about the implications of what he was saying. Paul here, or rather James, is saying, you need to think about what you say. And then he said, so speak and so do the way you live the way you carry yourself as a Christian. I mean, there are certain things that a Christian has no business doing. And so to remember who we are and whose we are. I think it's interesting that when the Apostle Paul stood before Felix, as recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 24, one of the things that he talked to Felix about was righteousness self-control, and the judgment to come. You know what the Bible says? Felix was terrified. Felix had a problem with self-control, didn't he? You won't know what's right or wrong, good or bad. You won't know truth or error if you don't know the Scriptures. That's why the Hebrew writer talks about one of the byproducts of knowing the Word of God is that we might be able to discern between good and evil. Paul's simply saying, look, if you'll take these characteristics, implement them into your life. Again, you remember last week I talked about a garden. And you cultivate the, you cultivate, cultivate the ground. You take the weeds out, you water it, you put that seed in, and then that seed begins to germinate, take root, and ultimately bears fruit, doesn't it? Jesus said the seed of the kingdom is the Word of God. So we take the Word of God, we plant it in the heart. We begin to nurture it, tend it, and cultivate it. And what happens? It brings forth fruit. So when people look at your life, what kind of garden do they see? Do they see the fruit of the Spirit? If not... My challenge to you over the course of the next year, develop these characteristics. And some of these characteristics are much more difficult to acquire than others, aren't they? At least for some people. So you take these characteristics, you work on them day in, day out, 
better your life. It'll bless your life, won't it? Let's close with prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day, for your love and your care. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would give us the wisdom to take your word into our lives and to live it out on a daily basis. Help us to live in such a way so that people see Christ living in us. And Father, we pray that you would bless the church here in this community. Help us to be a shining light for good. Help us to live so that people are attracted to Christ on a daily basis. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Tonight, if you're here and you're not a Christian, we encourage you to come to Christ, believing that Jesus is the Son of God. If you believe that Jesus is who He claimed to be, and you're willing to come, repent of your sins, confess His name before others, be buried with Him in baptism, the beauty of Scripture is you can be forgiven tonight. God will put you in the church, according to Acts chapter 2. And then the exhortation is to live the kind of life so that one day you can be with the Lord forevermore. If you're here tonight, and let's just say that you're a child of God, but for whatever reason your life hasn't been what it ought to be, and you need the prayers of the church, and you want to begin 2021 on solid footing. Could we pray with you and for you? You know, James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you tonight. And the Bible says God will abundantly pardon. So we encourage you to come as we stand and sing.